We're continuing this series, The Road to Christmas, which is getting really close, right? It's, re it's really close. It's less than a week. It's a few days to Christmas Eve. Hope you guys are excited in the midst of all this restriction. We can celebrate, and uh, I'm excited too. And we're going to be in the book of Isaiah eventually, but we're going to start in Luke, in Luke chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to encourage you, paper Bible or electronic, to get over to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and we're going to start there. What I want to do is I want to connect the two uh, stories about the angels announcing the birth of Jesus with Jesus' kingship and highlight the fact that he's being born a king, connect that with Jesus' own understanding of himself as king at the end of his life on the cross, and then I'm going to go back to Isaiah, who's this prophet in the Old Testament who speaks about this coming king that's going to be Jesus 700 years before the actual birth of Jesus and the events take place. So that's where I'm going. Anytime we talk about kingship, it's tough here in America because 250 years ago, we decided we don't want to have anything to do with kings and queens and monarchies, right? We mostly make just fun of it, except that we kind of love to watch the royals on, you know, in Britain and stuff like that, but we don't really take them seriously anymore. So it's hard to conceive of the idea of a king, you know, or a queen, like with actual power, the way they used to have. Um, you know, now they're more of a novelty to us, right? And so we like to watch The Crown, you know, on TV, this series about Queen Elizabeth and other kind of stuff. And it's, but it's more of a soap opera. It's not about, you know, someone who's got real genuine power. And yet in the Old Testament, when it talks about kingship, it's talking about a real king who's absolutely over uh, a kingdom and has real subjects and has real power. And so I want to encourage you to use your imagination a little bit. <laughs> Uh, and imagine that expectation and anticipation, this idea that a king is going to be born. And that this king is going to be powerful and influential. And you'll see how uh, the, the words that Isaiah uses are of a universal, global, eternal king. So let's take a look at the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. I'm going to read from verse 26 to start. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. So if you've got a throne, if you're reigning, if you've got a kingdom, you are a king, right? That's the kind of terminology we reserve for kings, and that's what the angel was announcing. If you go sort of a page or a chapter ahead to Luke chapter 2, the angels appear again, this time to announce the birth of Jesus to shepherds. So this is a familiar passage from verse 8 of chapter 2 in Luke. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. 
He doesn't use the term king. He talks about a savior, a messiah, which the Jews expected would be a kingly figure. And then he says he's going to be born in the city of David. That's the city of the greatest king Israel ever had, King David, the town of Bethlehem. So we see Jesus being described as a king from his birth. Now I want to get you to turn just a few pages back to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. So Matthew's the first Gospel. Just have to go back through Luke and get to Matthew chapter 27. I just want to read to you some verses. These are from Jesus' trial and his crucifixion. And they talk about this idea of Jesus as a king. It's really interesting how it comes out. But we're in verse 11 of Matthew 27. Jesus is standing before Pilate. It says, Now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, You have said it. <laughs> he doesn't deny it. He's like, Yeah, you say I'm king of the Jews. I'm not saying that I'm not. He was saying, really agreeing with him that he was. And that came to be how he was referred to through the rest of his suffering. In verse uh, 29 of the same chapter, if you just go a little few verses ahead, he's surrounded by the soldiers and it says, they wove, wove thrown thorn branches into a crown, put it on his head, and they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews! You go ahead to verse 37, Jesus is crucified, and then it says, a sign was fastened above Jesus' head, announcing the charge against him. It read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then verse 41, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, elders also mocked Jesus. He saved others, they scoffed, but he can't save himself. So, he is the King of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. So at least three times, right, Jesus is described as king, but in a mocking way. People who didn't believe he was. But of course, the irony is, for us as readers, we know not only is he a king, he is the king, the king of kings. But suffering and dying on a cross did not fit with being a king in anybody's mind. And so they mocked the idea. Yet we know it's true. And Isaiah's prophecies from 700 years earlier come to pass. So I want to encourage you to now turn way back in your Bible, a little past halfway to Isaiah chapter 9. I want to read some verses there and then from chapter 11. Isaiah is a prophet. He's speaking words that God's given to him way before they happen. He has some understanding, but not complete understanding about what he's talking about. That's, a, that's the nature of a prophet, right? They're speaking about the future. They don't know everything about it. They just know that they've received a message from God. And they repeat that message. And these two passages that I'm going to read to you, they're very familiar around Christmas. A lot of the songs that we sing are built on these two. I hope that you've heard them before. If not, you'll be blessed by them. We're in Isaiah chapter 9, and I'm going to read from verse 6. It says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, his government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David from all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. I don't know if you like classical music. Maybe around Christmas you listen to it a bit more than other times. 
But if you've never listened to Handel's Messiah, uh, I forgive you for that. No, it's okay. You don't need to be forgiven. Handel's Messiah is this piece of classical music that's amazing. It's also really, really long. So if you've never made through the two hours, like, you're not alone. But you can go to iTunes and Spotify now and just pick the specific song that you want out of Handel's Messiah. Go to Unto Us, A Child is Born. It's like three minutes long, and it's, it's a song that comes right out of this passage. When you listen to it once, you'll never read this scripture the same way. It's so awesome. So that's my plug for Christmas music, Handel's Messiah. Make it a family tradition. I highly recommend it. All right, let's go over to Isaiah chapter 11. This is where I'd like to park for a little bit. Isaiah has another word of prophecy, very similar, right, about a special king who's going to be born. Verse 11, or verse 1 of chapter 11. He says, Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot, yes, a new branch bearing fruit from the old root. That is from the kingly line of David, a new king is coming. Here's what he says about him. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. He will delight in obeying the Lord. He will not judge by appearance, nor make a decision based on hearsay. He will give justice to the poor and make fair decisions for the exploited. The earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and a little child will lead them all. The cow will graze near the bear. The cub and the calf will lie down together. The lion will eat hay like a cow. The baby will play safely near a hole, the hole of a cobra. Yes, a little child will put its hand in a nest of deadly snakes without harm. Nothing will hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For as the waters fill the sea, so the earth will be filled with people who know the Lord. In that day, the heir of David's throne will be a banner of salvation to all the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. Right? This is a king above all other kings, right? He's amazing in how he's described by Isaiah. And I just want to walk quickly through. I've got in your outline there at least five things. There's many more that we see about Jesus and his, the nature of his kingship in this passage. The first is that the Spirit of God rests on him. And that's really different in the Old Testament because typically in the Old Testament, people were seized by the power of the Holy Spirit, sort of grabbed a hold of and, and caused to do miraculous things. The story of Samson and his feats of great strength are described like that. This is unique in that the Spirit's resting on this king. The Spirit comes upon Jesus at his baptism in the New Testament, and it rests and, and fills him in a way that nobody's ever been empowered by the Spirit of God before. He's totally unique in that. And then all these descriptors about what that means, right, for the Spirit to rest on him. He gets wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord. And of course, those come to us by the same Spirit residing in us. But the Spirit of the Lord rests on him. He'll delight in being obedient to God is the second point there, right? He delights. He has joy in following what his father says, even as he's king, right? He's submitting to the father and doing his will and doing it by applying justice and righteousness. 
in every circumstance, rightly, right? Under his rule, people will enjoy that. Real justice, real righteousness in their lives. Under his rule, all of creation will be made new. That's the fourth point, right? There's this long description of how not just sort of politics change under the government of Jesus, but the whole world changes, even creation. All of a sudden, animals that used to attack each other don't. No more nature shows of cheetahs chasing down gazelles <laughs> because they don't eat each other. I mean, the cheetah doesn't eat the gazelle anymore, right? What, why is he describing it like that? Well, he says there's total peace in this new kingdom, right? There's no violence anymore of any kind. This is a peaceable kingdom like nobody's experienced before. He says in verse 9, nothing will hurt or destroy in this new kingdom that's coming under Jesus' rule. And then lastly, under his rule, the gospel spreads, right? It says that eventually the earth is filled with people who know the Lord. And we know that today to be, that's believers, right? It's part of why we get excited about do missions moments. Because slowly, but surely in Jesus' kingdom around the world, it is being filled with people who know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will be made even more true at his second coming. So we continue to participate in this life, in at least a small way, in the kingdom of God, right? Under the leadership and the kingship of Jesus, we get to experience some of those benefits. This is past Sunday across all of our campuses, which I don't know if you remember last Sunday, but it was raining. It was miserable, right? It's COVID, we're outside. <laughs> and across our campuses, you know, there were six different people who responded to the salvation invitation last Sunday. Like when I heard that, I'm just like, what? There were six? That's unbelievable. Some people, it was their very first time they'd ever come visiting a church. I'm like, you know, who, who visits on a pouring rain, terrible Sunday? Like pick another Sunday. I can't believe it. People come. Other people who've been around for a long time and it was their day. Other people who were visiting because of a friend, you know, invited them. Each, each one of those people has a story. But the remarkable thing is that despite all the restrictions and the stuff that we face, you know, being outside today, it's freezing cold, whatever. God's kingdom continues to move forward. Jesus is extending his kingship in the lives of individual people every day. And I want to encourage you for Christmas Eve to invite friends and family to come to church. It is one of those services that's just different than the Sunday thing, right? It's just like, well, it's Christmas. You should come to our Christmas Eve service, right? One thing we know, we're not competing with anything. Because there's nothing happening, right? <laughs> right? You can stay at home and watch Netflix or something, but you can't go anywhere and do anything. So I think it's actually a unique, even greater opportunity this time to say, you know what? We have this sort of safe, masked, socially distanced thing that we do for this Christmas Eve service. You can come and have a great time. Sing some carols. It's going to be a beautiful day, Lord willing. The fog will have lifted by then. And we'll be in God's presence together. And people will hear the gospel and hear the good news. Who knows? what Jesus wants to do on Christmas Eve. Let me wrap up by just talking about two of the practical implications of living under Jesus' rule today. The first is that we have hope in the promise that the world is going to be made right in the future. Okay, Isaiah's talking about the reign of Jesus Christ, and he's talking about the transformation of everything, the whole world, right, from politics to creation. That hasn't happened yet. The lion does not lay down with the lamb today. That will happen fully at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And everything will be made right. And that's a great hope that we have as Christians. That this world and what we see right now, this is not all that God is doing in the world. 
It's only a small picture of what he eventually will do. So you think about what's wrong with the world, right? From your perspective, right? Well, COVID's for sure wrong with the world. But there's lots of other stuff too, right? You might think, well, yeah, well, politics, man, that's what's wrong with the world. Or, or economics is what's wrong with the world. Or racism is what's wrong with the world. Or, you know, educational issues, that's what's wrong with the world. All of those things, you name whatever you want that's wrong with the world. It will be made right by Jesus Christ and by his kingship and by his reign. And we look forward to that. In the meantime, we experience some of the benefits today, right? It's not like it's all in the future. There are benefits that we get to enjoy from the kingship of Jesus by virtue of being a part of his family, the church, and we get to enjoy that today. One of the ways the church is described as the Bible is this is an expression of the kingdom of God, right? The church is a community, is a place that's described as the body of Christ. That is, it's the it's the actual representation of the king. How is the king present? Through his body, through the church today. You know, you think like, like really, us little groups sitting out here? Yeah, yeah. Not because we're special, but because Jesus has decided, that's how I'm going to express my kingdom, through a community called the church. And so each church that gathers is a part of that community as they lift up the name of Jesus and acknowledge him as king. And inside that community, we get to enjoy all these kinds of benefits that we've been reading about, right? There's wisdom and guidance, friendship and support, a sense of meaning and purpose in this life right now as we're led by King Jesus. I had a conversation a couple of weeks ago uh, with a, a, just a, a wonderful, neat couple that just got married, brand new Christians. And they just got a lot of stuff going on in life like a lot of us do. They had challenges in trying to figure out how to, how to have a Christian loving marriage. Uh, how to handle issues with their kids. They had some tough situations going on. How to deal with finances, right? Just the questions of life. And it was getting to be a pretty long list. that I was sitting there listening and thinking, Lord, how on earth is this couple going to see their lives totally changed not so that they just sort of experience the initial excitement of becoming a Christian for a couple of weeks and then moving on to something else, but how are they going to be lifelong disciples and followers of Jesus who raise their kids to follow Jesus, who at the end of their lives, right, have people stand around and give testimony that these people walk with the Lord all the days of their life? How, how is that going to happen? And, uh, you know, just for the, it all happens in a split second, you know, like, I can't do that. I, you know, how are we going to do this? And then, of course, realizing, you know, you dummy, you don't have to do this. You know, Jesus does that. <laughs> how does Jesus do that? I thought, by them being in this community, in this family. And it's not like the church has, you know, a little pill to solve each one of your problems. Oh, take this class. It'll fix this. And this will fix this. It's not like that, right? But together... We gather and submit to the lordship and the kingship of Jesus. And as we do that together, we start to grow and mature and learn. And we do find some answers to questions of life. And we experience the blessing of living under his kingship. And our lives are slowly but radically transformed. So I want to encourage you to be a part of this family, this community, right? Sunnyside has survived and even thrived during these days. 2021 is going to be unbelievable, right? 
I was reading just a newspaper article uh, yesterday about people were celebrating the end of 2020 by gathering all their calendars together and burning them. <laughs> and I thought, that is really good. I think I want to do that too. I want to burn all the calendars ever. Here's 2020. <laughs> you know? But it's actually been a great year. God's done amazing things. And then you think, what on earth is 2021 going to be like? It's going to be unreal. This thing's opened back up. As you get inside here, this community's growing. It's going to be an amazing year of Jesus' kingship. Let's enjoy it together. But the worship team to come on up. I invite you to stand. We're going to wrap up with a song and response. So this, this TV show that I mentioned before, The Crown, uh, I will confess that I watched it. Um, my wife loves it. I like it too. It's a little bit, little bit soap opery, but anyways, in this, this last season, it's all kind of been about Princess Diana, if you know anything about, about her. Uh, and at the end of the, the series, in the, one of the last scenes, uh, Prince Philip is talking with her because Diana's struggling with being, you know, part of the royal family and how do you fit in? She wants to be her own person, that kind of thing. And Philip, who's married to the queen, and he's still alive, very old man now, but anyways, in this TV show, Philip's giving her some advice. And he says, Diana, there's only one person that really matters in this family. And it's not you. <laughs> He doesn't say it's the queen, but everybody knows that's who he's talking about. The queen's the person that matters in this family. She wears the crown. And then he said that it has this great line. He says, she's the oxygen that all the rest of us are breathing. <laughs> sort of like that phrase that we use, right? It's her world, and the rest of us are just living in it. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretentious thing, you know, to say about any person. Uh, but I was right away struck about how oh, but if you say that about King Jesus, that totally works. <laughs> and it's even truer, much, much truer, in fact. Uh, there's one person in this family that really matters, and it's Jesus. Uh, he is the oxygen that the rest of us are breathing. Uh, this literally is his world, and we're just living in it. <laughs> uh, but that's good news when it's King Jesus. Because he's a just...